welcome to the Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us today. Get ready to be inspired and motivated to live a high-impact life. Now, here's Rick. Welcome to another episode of the Point of Impact podcast. I'm Rick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us again today. Appreciate all the support and the listeners. Uh, Just want to encourage you again to share this podcast with your friends and online, social media, however you do it. I really appreciate if it's helping you, if you're enjoying these interviews and the various topics we're talking about. Also appreciate greatly any reviews that you can give. The more reviews, the better, the more people can hear about it, understand what you enjoy about it, as well as subscribing because then you just get it dropped every Friday morning to you automatically. You don't even have to uh, look for it at all. It comes to you. But I do appreciate uh, the support. And I haven't talked about it much, frankly, in this new season. Um, and, and some folks have asked me about it, you know, like what what are what about my books and writing and various things like that, speaking, stuff like that. So let me just share with you a few things. One thing is I've got a big event coming up next month, June 26th in Atlanta, Georgia, called Your Comeback. I will be speaking as well as Dr. Mark Rutland who authored the book Relaunch, How to Stage an Organizational Comeback. And, and of course, I wrote the book. And I say, of course, maybe you don't know, oh, my most popular book, Turn Your Setbacks into Comebacks. So we're going to be spending a day talking about comebacks, both personal and professional. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. So if you're in the Atlanta area or even South Carolina or Florida, uh, it's going to be a live event. It's going to be great. Atlanta is really opening up the baseball stadiums going 100% capacity and the football stadium, which I think they use for soccer and the NASCAR race, all that stuff's going to full capacity. And we've got a fantastic location, Mount Perrin Church in uh, Atlanta, beautiful facility, lots of parking, a really, really great situation. And so we'd love to have you come and join us. It's yourcomebackevent.com. The website is yourcomebackevent.com. You can learn more about it, and I, I certainly encourage you to do, to do that. And I'm going to be talking more about it. Mark will be on. I'll be interviewing him. We'll be talking more about it, but I want to just throw that out there to you and get that on your calendars because it's only like a month and a half away. So let's get going here, and, and uh, that's certainly on me. would love to have you join us for that event. It's going to be fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And again, your, you Turn Your Setbacks into Comebacks is a, a, a very popular book that I've written, spent some time on the number one uh, list in Christian faith for uh, Amazon. Uh, it's available. It's, uh, I also have uh, You Got Style, which again is uh, my latest book, How Discovering Your Personal Style Impacts Your Faith, Family Finances, and much more. That is uh, a great book to learn more about yourself and others. It'll help you enormously in your family life, in your work life. It will help you understand yourself better in your marriage. It's really helped a lot of people. You got style, looking at your learning styles and thinking styles and decision styles and parenting styles and spiritual styles and time styles and on and on it goes. Really, really good stuff. Uh, that could help you turn your setbacks into comebacks is about how to have a financial or, or relational or spiritual or physical comeback. It covers the, the gamut of, of comebacks as well as the principles for comebacks. So those are a couple books that I think could really help you and uh, hope that you will 
pick them up and you can get them on Amazon and get them a lot of different places. But those are just some of the things. I do have an article that will be coming out um, in uh, Fox News uh, here maybe even maybe even uh, this weekend. So be looking for that as well. Um, and my devotionals come out every week. And again, if you want uh, to get those delivered every Wednesday morning straight to your inbox, just go to rickmcdaniel.com, rickmcdaniel.com, and scroll down. And there's a place where you can put in your email. And then every Wednesday morning, you'll get an inspirational a devotion sent right to your uh, email box and about 400, 420 words, not a, not, you know, take you just a minute or two to read it and give you a good boost for your day. So you can sign up for that. com is a place to go for all stuff uh, regarding me. That's the definite place to go. So, all right, enough about all that stuff. Let's jump in today. As some of you who listen regularly know, I like to do these one-off episodes where I just pick something that's interesting to me that isn't in a particular uh, theme that I have been speaking about or touching on and maybe doesn't necessarily have any current event impact like say last week's episode. And this one was comes from a New York Times article that I read a couple years ago on on medical myths and it just was really really fascinating to me when I read it. The researchers have identified nearly 400 common medical practices and theories that were contradicted by rigorous studies. Imagine that, 400. And so, uh, you know, here's sort of the top 10, if you would, the top 10 medical myths that we should stop believing. Now, I, I like this myth stuff. I've written a couple articles through the years, uh, five myths, a couple five myths articles uh, that I think are really good that you can find in places like BeliefNet is one where I've written, uh, I think the, that's where you can find them is BeliefNet. So if just put in beliefnet.com and then go to uh, click in my name, type in my name, those should come up. So I like doing these kind of things, you know, myths, what people think versus what, you know, really is. I mean, you might assume that standard medical advice was supported by mounds of scientific research. Well, of course you would. And then 400 routine practices are contradicted by studies published in leading journals. Of more than 3,000 studies published from 2003 through 2017 in JAMA and The Lancet and 2011 through 2017 in the New England Journal of Medicine, more than one in 10 amounted to medical reversal, a conclusion opposite of what had been conventional wisdom among doctors. Some of the ideas have been firmly dislodged. And so now, you know, here they are, you know, contradictory to what we thought. And I think it's just really fascinating to just take some time today and just think about some of these things because, you know, they may be things that we really need to just change our practices in 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 light of what the myth is versus the reality. And also help maybe others that we're in relationship with, as well as just the whole concept of you know, more knowledge is always beneficial and may help you down the road somewhere as you consider decisions that you'll make. So here's medical myth number one. I think this is really interesting. I just heard a comedian, uh, Nate Bargatze, kind of joking about the peanut allergies on kids and sort of the uh, discrimination, the uh, looking down on it. But peanut allergies occur whether or not a child is exposed to peanuts before age three. 
Pediatricians have counseled parents to keep babies away from peanuts for the first three years of their life. But as it turns out, children exposed to peanuts before they were even one year old have no greater risk of peanut allergies. So again, you know, this whole idea is, you know, just keep them away from the peanuts, keep them away from the peanuts, and then they won't have the peanut allergy. And then what has happened? What is what is the what does the, the research show that even one year old have no greater risk of peanut allergies having been exposed to peanuts than those who didn't? I mean, that's just fascinating when you think about keep the kids away from peanuts because they'll get a peanut allergy. But it turns out even kids that are exposed have no greater risk to getting a peanut allergy than ones who weren't exposed. All right, here's myth number two. This is uh, fascinating because, you know, you've seen this on TV, you've heard it. Fish oil does not reduce the risk of heart disease. At one point, the notion that fish fats prevented heart trouble did seem logical. People whose diets contain a lot of fatty fish seem to have lower incidence of heart disease. Fatty fish contains omega-3 fatty acids, omega-3 supplements, lower levels of triglycerides, and high levels of triglycerides are linked to an increased risk of heart disease. Okay, it all makes sense. But, and that, well, let's just say this too. Not to mention that omega-3 fatty acids seem to also help with uh, reducing inflammation, which is a key feature of heart attacks. So you got all that going for you. So it's not as if it's a bad thing to take omega-3 supplements, again, lower triglycerides and, and uh, help with inflammation. But here's the thing. In a trial involving 12,500 people at risk for heart trouble, daily omega-3 supplements did not protect against heart disease. Didn't do it. So I'm not saying it's not worth taking for other benefits, but the idea that you're going to just flat out reduce the risk of heart disease by taking Fish oil, omega-3, 12,500 person study says doesn't, doesn't work. It's a myth. It's not true. It doesn't actually happen. Wow. All right. How about another? A lifelike doll carried around by teenage girls will not deter pregnancies. <laughs> yeah, you know, these dolls wail and they need to be changed and cuddled and the idea sounds logical is that girls would learn how much work was involved in caring for an infant and then they wouldn't want to get pregnant as a teenager but a randomized a randomized study found that girls who were told to carry around infant simulators now listen actually were slightly more likely to become pregnant than girls who did not get the dolls actually slightly more likely to get pregnant did not deter at all in fact it slightly increased the amount of pregnancies so again it's just the myth versus reality i mean it sounds right just like omega sounds right for lower levels of triglycerides that's got to be good but the studies don't bear out the the kind of common logic that we think this is how it should be Speaking of supplements, ginkgo bilboa does not protect against memory loss and dementia. The supplement made from the leaves of the ginkgo trees was widely used in ancient Chinese medicine and is still promoted as a way to preserve memory. 
But a large federal study published way back in 2008 definitively showed the supplement is useless for this purpose. Ginkgo still sells $324 million in sales. But there was a study done 13 years ago that said it does not, it does not protect against memory loss and dementia. It, it just, it doesn't do it. <laughs> but $250 million in sales says people still take it. Didn't get didn't get the the news. I mean that again. That's what I mean. That's what a podcast really should do is just give you information that maybe you just did not have before. And that's exactly what today's episode is all about. It's not particularly spiritual or current. It's not my insights in various ways, though. I think all those are valuable and important. But today is just about flat out. Just look. Here's the information. Here's what the studies say. As as I said in last week's episode. You know, I I have two graduate research degrees, so I am a man who believes in research. I believe the data is good. I believe that facts are your friends. I think you should know stuff so you can make the best decisions possible. All right, here's a fifth myth. To treat emergency room patients in acute pain, a single dose of oral opioids is no better than drugs like aspirin and ibuprofen. Whoa. Yes, opioids are powerful drugs, of course, but a clinical trial showed that much safer alternatives relieve pain just as well among emergency room patients. Again, you know, it's it's kind of hard to believe because it, aspirin and ibuprofen versus, you know, a powerful opioid. I mean, the opioid is definitely more powerful. I once had a gallbladder attack and they put an opioid into my system intravenously. I've never experienced anything like that. So I wasn't a drug user when I was younger. So I, I wasn't, didn't have a background in, in that sort of high. And I was like, whoa, this is incredible. So, you know, you have an experience like that and you say, really? Uh, ibuprofen? But again, those of us who use ibuprofen, those who do know, it's amazing how many aches and pains and things that can be bothering you. Just the other day, I just had really some significant pain and yet took some ibuprofen and away it went. And when you just think about the enormous damage that the opioid, oh my gosh, this opioid epidemic has done and how oh, how much damage it's done to so many people's lives. And you think a study showed that you could use other drugs that are not addictive and have similar results. It's just absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. All right, here's another myth. Testosterone treatment does not help older men retain their memory. Some men have low levels of testosterone and they have memory problems. So early studies hinted that middle-aged men with higher testosterone levels seemed to have better preserved tissue in some parts of their brains. Older men with higher testosterone levels also seemed to do better on tests of mental functioning. But a rigorous clinical trial showed that testosterone was no better than a sugar pill, a placebo, in helping older men avoid memory loss. So again, it's the early studies, you know, that said, okay, higher testosterone levels seem to, you know, result in better preserved 
tissue in some parts of the brain. And older men with higher testosterone levels seem to do better on tests on mental functioning. That's what the early, I mean, that's how this happened. You know, the early results say this, but then when more rigorous clinical trials are done, then it shows, yeah, really no better than a placebo in helping older men avoid memory loss. So the early studies were just not enough. And given more studies and more rigorous study, what is discovered is doesn't doesn't work that way. It's not 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 going to happen. So the testosterone is not going to help with memory loss, and uh, it's just it's not going to work. And it's important to understand this. It's because you can you know functioning with these myths in your mind is not helping you in any way, shape, or form. This is not to say that there isn't a place for help with testosterone i just read an article about that about how you know how valuable and important it can be for some men but again before you you get to that point their diet you know they say just straight up lifting heavier weights uh, reducing your weight are two things that can increase testosterone levels without taking any sort of drug but Certainly, as testosterone levels drop, it affects men in several negative negative ways. And you don't want that. If you're a man, you certainly don't want that. But before you run out and get testosterone replacement, there's some other steps you might want to take in between. But again, the point of this myth is if you're going to take it, of the many benefits that it can bring to you if you're going to take it not you know not for say the energy part of it uh, but say for the memory part not going to work it's not going to happen all right another myth to protect against asthma attacks it won't help you to keep your house free of dust mites mice and cockroaches not that you wouldn't want to keep your house free of those things anyway, but the advice from leading medical groups has been to rid your home of these pests if you or your child has asthma. The theory was that allergic reactions to them can trigger asthma attacks. But intensive pest management in homes with children sensitized to mouse allergens did nothing to reduce the frequency of their asthma attacks. Researchers reported this 2017. So again, look, it's logical. And again, I don't know why you wouldn't want to rid your house of dust mites, mice, and cockroaches. I mean, it's disgusting for a whole litany of reasons. But the advice that you've got to get rid of these things if your kid has asthma or you have asthma, because this is where the, you know, sensitizing comes to the allergies. But the research says, no, no. When you do the research, when you do the study, what you find is that it does not reduce the frequency of asthma attacks. Might make for a cleaner, healthier home just overall, but in regards specifically to asthma, it is not going to result in what you illogically would think would happen. So again, this one I think is a little different because I don't know why you wouldn't want to keep your home free of those things anyway. But the idea that in doing this, you're going to reduce allergy uh, attacks, uh, asthma attacks, just not, not happening.
Not, not going to happen. Now, here's a myth that it's interesting. I'm, this one I'm not so sure is as big a myth. Step counters and calorie trackers do not help you lose weight. Uh, well, in fact, the reverse is true. 470 dieters followed for two years wore devices tracking the steps they took and the calories they burned actually lost less weight than those who just followed standard advice. I mean, it's it's hard. This one's hard because it that one really flies against just the most logical ideas. So let's just maybe just let's go over this one one more time. Time step counters, calorie counters do not help you lose weight. It just seems that's a myth. But again, 470 dieters followed for two years wore these devices tracking their steps and the calories they burned, and they actually lost less weight than those who just followed standard advice. So that one's tough to understand. That one is hard for a guy like me. That that one really messes with. I don't have one of those. I don't wear one of those devices. But I, you know, I've got it on my phone, and uh, you know, I can see. It took a hike last Saturday, and I can see exactly how many miles uh, I put in, and. Um, but the idea that people for two years who are dieting and watching what they what they eat and the calories and, and tracking their steps, it just seems like those people would lose more weight. And, and yet the study, a two-year study, 470 dieters, said that's not the case. Now, again, that doesn't mean that's not the case for you. I mean, you can you can you can go against that grain, but that that the idea that man, I just need to get one of those counters and I'm on my way. And I think that's really the the big myth that you have to kind of explode is the idea that the technology is not enough I and mean, you still have to do it. If you just chart how many steps you take and how many calories you eat and you just chart it, but you don't change it. You know, if your goal is, you know, two miles a day and you're doing one mile a day and you know you're doing one mile, but you don't up with the two. That's no good if you're, you know, if your goal is to stay under 1400 calories and you're you're much closer to the 2000 calorie, which is, you know, what you need to maintain, but it's not what you need to lose, then you can know it, but it's not going to help you if you don't do something about it. So that's what I take out of that one. That's an odd one for sure. All right, here's another one. Torn knee meniscus. Try physical therapy first and surgery later. So an estimated 460,000 patients in the U.S. get surgery each year to fix knee cartilage that tears, often because of uh, osteoarthritis. The tear is painful, and many patients fear that if it's not surgically treated, the pain will linger. But when patients with a torn meniscus and moderate arthritis were randomized in six months of physical therapy or surgery, both groups improved and to the same extent. So again, just let's just really break this one down. So you've got a torn meniscus, moderate arthritis, six months of physical therapy or surgery, and both improve to the same extent. I mean, why would you ever put yourself through surgery, the cost of surgery, the going under anesthesia, all the time lost, all that, only at the end of the day to come out the same as someone who just did physical therapy? It's just hard, hard to believe. Now, again, you know, there's there's two different meniscus uh, injuries and, and, and one, the completely detached versus torn has to be surgically repaired. 
but the torn one doesn't. But this is just fascinating, just like with uh, prostate uh, surgery versus just, you know, watching it and, and guys get their prostates out and then they have all kinds of problems and you read articles and they say, man, I just wish I just would have watched it and seen what happened. You know, they hear the C word cancer, cancer, and they just immediately and then their 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 rest of their life is impacted significantly urination issues impotency i mean the bad stuff bad 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 for the rest of your life just to have avoided it and just continued one of the slowest growing cancers there is so before you just jump into surgery whatever that surgery might be you always want to just ask yourself what are the other options and and here you go if you got a meniscus tear it's better to just do rehab than to have surgery something to consider for sure all right here's our final myth if a pregnant woman's water breaks prematurely the baby does not have to be delivered immediately sometimes a few weeks before a woman's due date the membrane surrounding her fetus ruptures and amniotic fluid spills out obstetricians worried that Bacteria could invade what had been a sterile environment around the fetus, causing infection. Better to deliver the baby immediately, doctors thought. But a clinical trial found that if obstetricians carefully monitor the fetus while waiting for labor to begin naturally, the fetus is at no greater risk for infection. And newborns left to gestate were healthier with less respiratory distress and a lower risk of death than those who were delivered immediately after a break. I mean, this is just, you know, it's the kind of information that's just life changing. So a woman's water breaks and boom, immediately they're like, we got to deliver this baby. There's going to be infection. Then you do the clinical trial. And what does it show? It shows that no, just, uh, just take the right precautions. Just take the right precautions. Let the baby stay in the mother's womb. It'll end up healthier, less risk of death, less respiratory distress. Just carefully monitor, that's all. Just be monitoring, but don't take these quick actions. And these sorts of things are important when we're talking about your health and in your body and before you go and get surgery or you deliver a baby prematurely or take supplements that aren't necessary or, or or don't do the job that they're supposed to do i mean before you do that you really just have to ask yourself you know is this the the right approach that that i'm taking jesus said some some fascinating words he said the truth will set you free you know, you, you can only be free when you, you know the truth. And myths are not the truth. They are things that are supposedly true, but turn out to be false. They turn out to be inaccurate. They are not correct. And when you're talking about something like your, your health, you know, you get one body. That's it. That's all you get. And you have to keep it healthy. And if you're following these myths... You're doing things that are not helping you in the case of some of these supplements, for instance. They're just not doing what you think they're doing. The omega-3s, you know, and the ginkgo, Bilboa, it's not doing what you think it's going to do for you. I mean, that's just the testosterone. It's, it's, not, it's not doing it. 
It's not working the way that you think. And conversely, then, if you take these kind of radical actions where you say, okay, uh, I'm going to have surgery. I'm going to deliver a baby prematurely. These sorts of things are significant and can have a huge impact on your life and your overall well-being for the rest of your life. So knowing, knowing the truth gives you the freedom to take the right actions, the correct actions, the actions that will be best for your health. So I hope these have been helpful to you today. Spread the, the news. You know, if others you know are following these myths rather than truth, uh, help them out. Direct them to this podcast. Let them listen to it for themselves. They can come up with their own conclusions. But the research is there, done in the leading. Those are the three leading uh Medical journals, Journal of American Medical Association, Lancet, New England Journal Medicine. I mean, these are the leading medical journals in this country, and this is what they show. This is what they reveal. So it's solid information, and it's, it's, it's worth taking seriously. And, and again, I hope that you will do that. I hope that this podcast can can certainly help you mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Uh, that's my goal is to provide help for you in all different aspects of your life. And today we uh, we're on the medical one. So thanks for joining us today on the Point of Impact podcast. And again, keep listening, keep sharing, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. You've been listening to the Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode. 